Hello, everybody. Welcome to Entrepreneurs in Small Rooms Drinking Coffee. We are live from the CFC's uh, Canadian Film Centre has a barbecue for the Toronto International Film Festival. And we're broadcasting live from there today uh, on a cool and wintry summer day. Uh, and we're in neither a small room nor are we drinking coffee. Yeah. So everything <laughs> about this show, we're an entrepreneur. You're an entrepreneur. That's the only thing that's not a lie. So we've got Greg here from MediaZoic. How's it going? It's uh, apart from the weather. <laughs> uh, you know, we think might get some chattering teeth on the episode. Exactly. But, uh, we'll edit that out. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for coming. Uh, well, my pleasure. You, you, Thanks, thanks sorry, for Sorry, an animal landed <laughs> on my mic. I'm not used to that. Um, so tell us, tell everybody what MediaZoic is all about. Very simply put, we do custom radio. Cool. And that can mean a lot of different things. Uh, it can mean uh, putting together music for a you know for a retailer or a restaurant client. It can mean powering the Allen Cross Top Eleven. Uh, a lot of different things, but but the the nut of it is custom radio. So radio that can be applied in all kinds of different ways. So as right now as a retailer. I just, what, without your platform, I just tune into some XM station or some FM station and I just get that. Some some do, yeah. which of course you have to wonder about because if you're sitting in a, you know, a sub a subway or whatever and another, and someone else's commercial comes on, that's probably, you know, another yeah. competitor. McDonald's are like, probably uh, not a good thing, yeah. Right, so but, they just, uh, and they take what they get. If it's just, it happens to be chatter, then they're like, oh, I have to remember to change the radio station and. Yes, and there are there are other companies, for example, that, that, that work in the retail space. Okay. Uh, what differentiates us in, in the retail space, for example, is that we don't just do the, you know, the in-location, we, we take it beyond that and go digital, so. Okay. Uh, one one of the uh, if I can talk about one of my clients that's sure. actually here today, sure. uh, Quesada, mm -hmm. uh, you know a burrito uh, chain, uh, uh, gourmet burritos, and so what we, we we do their in-store music and so on. But but if you go to their website, there's also a nice branded player and that type of thing. So the idea is take the brand outside of you know all over right. digital. So I think that makes sense. So. So, and then for the retailer, do they install, like, do they have an app or do they have a piece of software that pushes it out through the stereo in the store? Is it, that how it works? It depends on, on the client. Uh, we, we have multiple, you know, retail clients. And actually, back to custom radio, they all work differently, you mm -hmm. know, just because stores might be set up differently, uh, different hardware might, you know, might be available. Uh, so it, one thing that we've definitely learned is that each client and each, uh, you know, experience is very, very unique. That's funny. You'd think retailers would sort of have a cookie-cutter way. Okay, this is You'd how the think. restaurant would be like. Okay. Yeah. So how did you, did you start doing this? How long ago did you start Medizoic? Oh, uh, well, the, the, I guess the first idea came about nine years ago. Nine years ago. Uh, yeah. And what was it at the time? <laughs> a lot different than it is now. Um, <clears throat> Kind of, I joke around that uh, it was—it's my midlife crisis company. Uh, right. My, I it was around my 40th birthday. Okay. And instead of uh, going out and you know buying a sports car, or getting a girlfriend, uh, I—I'm uh, married, by the way. Yes. Um, I, uh, <laughs> that precludes that I decided too. I wanted to be in the music business, and uh, so our first iteration was actually. I don't know if, if uh, you're a young fellow. I don't know if you're too young to remember, but. Uh, these uh, instant messenger type of applications, Yahoo Messenger and MSN Messenger and that type of thing, mm -hmm. um, we developed uh, an app for specifically for Yahoo Messenger, which was one of the big ones at the time. Mm -hmm. And what you could do was uh, 
I don't know if you remember that some of them had a feature where um, it could tell, uh, it, it could it could show what was being listened to in your iTunes, for example. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. A status. Yeah. Like, uh, right. What was a status. status before Facebook had Exa status? Exactly, yeah. exactly. So what we did is we built a little thing that not only did it did the what you were playing on your computer show up in your in your messenger, if if the if anyone in your network clicked on that, this kind of stage would open, this browser-based stage, and it would start playing a stream in real time from the person's sound card. Oh, that's so cool. It was, if I may say so myself, it was uber cool, you know, and it would have the lyrics and it would have the album cover and band information and so on. It was So for fantastic. like 2000, and I guess that's 2006-ish? That's Around pretty there. pretty special. Like yeah. that did not exist at the time. It did not right? exist. Like, there was sort of an iPod, you know, and the iPods were doing fine. Yeah, but that, no, there was no digital music kind of, no Spotify, nothing, nothing like, like that. that. No Spotify, <laughs> nothing. No. So how did you how did you do that? Did you just say I'm quitting my day job as a guy who gets paid and I'm going to put up some money? Like how did you? Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. I had a day job, yeah. uh, a good one, you know, okay. uh, making making a good wage and so on. Um, it happened to be at a software company, and so actually, the original developer that that you know uh, worked on on kind of the idea that I had, uh, you know, was working in the same company, and then it kind of went from there. Cool. But yeah, I I did. Quit. So, so, so you did your day job, <laughs> and then at night you were for about uh, about a year. Okay. And then I decided to you quit. Know, how, how did you decide, like, what was the catalyst to say, okay, now I'm going to stop taking an income, I'm going to take a risk on this? Well, that's just kind of who I am. Someone someone said to me once, said, Greg, you have a bit of a problem. You don't understand that, um, you know, most people, if they're going to invest money or going to invest resources, there's a, there's a cutoff between what they think is a good idea and actually being, you know, writing a check for that. Yes. I don't have that in my head. I mean... If I have, you know, if I have an idea and I'm passionate about it, I can't, it's very hard for me to objectively look at it and say, is this a good idea or not? I mm -hmm. just, I just got to do it, basically. So, but, you know, you could have done that at seven months. You could have done that in a year and three months. Did there well, something that happened? That I had a, no, I had kind of a contract. I had a consulting ah. contract and, uh, you know, it came to a point where uh, I had, a, you know, I had a chance to renew it and, and, and on very good terms. Uh, and basically, I kind of had to decide: why do not I, do I renew it or not? And why not the part-time startup? I mean, I have opinions on this, but why not just say, you know, no, I'll keep doing it. I'll make some good wage, and then at night or weekends, I'll. Yeah, who, you sound like my wife. But uh, <laughs> you know, it, it, that would have been the smart thing to do. And, and uh, <clears throat> you know, if I if I had, if I had a chance to, have, uh, you know, I, I do get questions from entrepreneurs and so on. Yeah. Uh, don't quit your day job is definitely uh, a very smart advice, really which though? I did not follow. I, can you actually do that, though? Because my opinion is, as much as I want to do that, I don't think you can... It's really hard to actually do that because focus is what you need. You Well, absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, uh, it's not for everybody, right? I mean, yeah. it, it's the old story. Uh, you know, it, it, if it were easy, everybody could do it, you know? And I just... Uh, I have, I have a family, you know, I have three kids and so on, and, uh, you know, uh, things are things are going quite well now, but, uh, boy, uh, there were some real, there have been some real struggles, and there continue to be, but... Sure. Yeah. yeah. So, when you, so you, you did that path, you went down that path of, like, building out that product, at what point, like, did you say, this is a business or this isn't a business, how did you know to not just keep building down that, like, player interactive yeah, experience? Yeah, well... You know, just listening to uh, to the market, you know, and listening to 
you know, of course, in the early days, there isn't a market. You're just kind of doing demos and so on. So basically, uh, we launched uh, in uh, out of beta in uh, the spring of 2011. Okay. So, you know, there was a period uh, before that, obviously, of, of, you know, development and back and forth and invest, you know, looking for investment and that type of thing. Uh, we, we did have an outside investor uh, come in. He's actually here today. Mm -hmm. saw. Mm -hmm. um, but... Uh, why, why did you do that then? Why did you go for an investor? You're like, shit, I'm out of money. Well, I need to like okay, so, keep the thing going. Or? Well, I'll tell you why. <laughs> uh, back to back to the uh, the, ori the original iteration of the software. You, you know, you said that's really cool. Nobody was doing that at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm a music guy, you know, and one of my things from the beginning was this has to be legit. I don't want Napster. I don't want you know. This is something where you know rights holders need to get paid and and so on. Yes. Because and I'm, I'm not a young guy, so. You know that that was my thing. Yeah. And uh, basically, uh, we took it. So we took that demo uh, of of the original to the to the record labels, and they looked at it and they said two things. Number one, wow, this is really cool. Number two, we will never license this, ever. Because uh, it's syn uh, it's it's synchronous. It's what they call synchronous rather than asynchronous. Because you know the thought of somebody being able to stream from a sound card directly. I mean, I actually literally had one exec, one label executive tell me, "This is Napster 2.0, dude. There's no. no way we're gonna you know do this." So basically, what that meant was I had to look back and go, "Okay, there's two ways we can go: fold the tent, yeah. you know, or." You know, rebuild in in a way that was more amenable to licensing and what they're looking for. Looking for. Yeah, see. and so we took the latter, and for that I needed I needed some money. So, uh, do you need the money to um, build the new thing to get people to actually build it? Yeah, exactly. Was that the primary use of the money, or is exactly. it like also to like no, primary, market it and, and no, other, it was build. it was most almost exclusively to build it. So, how do you when you're you built a thing? It's okay. I mean, technologically, it's cool, but you're like, there's really no market that I can see, at least at that point in time. Maybe they changed their mind now in 2015 or 2016. Um, how do you go to an investor and say, look, I built a thing. It's cool, right? It's not working. Can you give me some more money to build a, something different? How do you do that? Well, I guess it was kind of a unique story in my sense because, uh, you know, I, I, I did the 100, you know, VC meetings and angel meetings and everything like that. I, I, I pounded the pavement. Mm -hmm. um, in the music technology space, especially in, uh, in Canada and specifically in, in Toronto, there's really only one person who invests in that kind of thing. Mm. Um, and, and that was what I was told repeatedly, you know. I and see. so basically, um, it was almost... I'm not going to say determined, but it was, you know, um, if it was if I couldn't manage to con convince this investor, then I probably wasn't not the right success. Yeah. Or I might have to go to this. Actually, most people told me just go to the states. Yeah. You know, and and I I talked with some of the you know well-known music and tech investors in the states and so on, just kind of to do my due diligence. Mm -hmm. But uh, no, as it happened, you know. Someone here does that, and and so. So what happens often when you go to an investor? Um, they have an opinion and an outlook on the world, and obviously it helps if they're aligned with what you're doing, right? Like if get, getting somebody who like knows the gambling space to invest in you, that's nice, but it's not useful money. It's right. just money. Exactly. Um, how do you? When you go to an investor, did he, did he, did you tell him your story, and he was like, "I totally get it," or did he have an opinion about what you should do, and you had to come to some sort of mutual understanding? Well, it's a funny story. I, I, I hope he's okay with me saying this. It, it's nothing, you know. Um, so, 
you know, during the during the sort of courting process, really, it was just a matter of explaining, and and you know, he'd been in he's he was uh, he's been in the radio business, so it was cool. radio and it was music and so on, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, we went back and forth, and eventually we made a deal and so on, and I think after like a year or something, I I, I was in a meeting with him, and he said, you know, I still don't really get what you do. <laughs> I said, well, why did you invest? He said, because of your tenacity. Interesting. Uh, so he figured if you would go after you, him, he would go after the labels and the the customers, the people who would be licensed. Well, just just you know, I think I think you know, ideas are, are fantastic and and uh, you know, products are fantastic and so on. But I, I think in many cases, what separates successful entrepreneurs from the pack is is tenacity, you know, <laughs> and and just belief and and you know, you're gonna have the worst possible you know moments in your life uh, you just got to be able to if you know if you believe in it enough and if it's a good enough idea then you, you just have to have to keep going until until it works so you got enough from from him specifically only one one investor at the time to, yes. to go yes, yes you got enough from him to like build your next version of the thing yes how did you know what that thing was well, like, that's, that's a good question um, Really? That's really my only job, so I'm glad. Yeah, but yeah, anyway. no, yeah, thank you. I'm sure you hear that. That's a good question. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Uh, but that's a good response to it. Um, how, how did I know? Well, really, it was just, in, in this case, it was almost as simple as just doing what the labels had asked for. I see. I so see. they said, okay, this is really cool, but here's why it doesn't, it's not going to work, ABC. So we basically just said, okay, let's make it, let's make it ABC. Mm -hmm. And then... So what, what did they say they the, wanted? Do you remember? Like, they're well, like, we want... Yeah, so the, well... So DRM the, and French and... No, not so much, yeah. So the, the big thing was the synchronous versus asynchronous element, right? Okay. So, uh, so the synchronous stream from a sound card was just never, ever going to work. If you know, from a licensing point of view. Okay. Not to mention from a scalable technology point of view, mm -hmm. you know. So so basically, um, they, they kind of said, you know, as long as um, somebody's uploading something, whether it's a client of yours or whatever, is uploading something that then gets processed and gets encrypted, you know, you, you mentioned DRM and so on. Not DRM, but, but heavy encryption, you mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. um, then we're pretty much okay with that, you know, and or at least... Bring it back to us, and and you know, and let's see what it looks like, type of thing. So, so really, that was the main focus. But then, of course, that just meant that we had to change lots of other elements of the system because right. it had been built a certain Sync, way. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you built that. How long did that take? Uh, yeah, probably a year. Okay. Yeah. And then along the maybe way, actually, were you... maybe about eight months. About cool. eight months. Sorry. Yeah. And then, and then. Were you when you had something to show? Did you just go back to the same uh, ladies and gents and say, "Hey guys, this is where we're at now. What are you thinking?" Kinda. Yeah. 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 Pretty <laughs> From much. your face, I don't yeah. feel like that's. Well, so I did. That is okay. pretty much what I did, but but it didn't go quite as smoothly oh, as yeah? I hoped. What do they say? Well, um, you know, without sort of uh, getting into too much detail. Um, you know, it's a it's a it's a tough negotiation. Every everyone talks about the the record labels and so on. These are you know multinational media conglomerates. So it's a sale into the enterprise. It's not like a consumer sale. Well, you have to at the time yeah. we weren't sure. Okay. You know, we were still figuring that out. Okay. Uh, to be honest, and I mean, of course, they ask about the business model, and and we had ideas of what the business model was, um, and we weren't that far off. Mm -hmm. You know, and in the and and. But I think part of that process, part of that negotiating and licensing process, was us sort of working through how how, how we were going to 
make it work, you know, uh, from a from business now. You needed to talk to them about how they would pay you so you could understand what they would pay right, for. Right, how we would be paid, how how we would pay out, how all of that, you know, territories. Uh, so am I right in understanding that once you sort of built something that they said they wanted, they're like, great, this is kind of what we want. Now there's the whole, the business side of the conversation, yeah. which is like, how are we going to pay whom for what and where do you fit in this equation? And actually, we do all the heavy work, so you should really get nothing because you're that kind of, not really that, but something like that, yeah? Yes, yes. So how do, you, like how do you negotiate with uh, gigant, gigantic, really powerful, wealthy people who are, as you say, experts in negotiation? Slowly. <laughs> Really? Yeah. Yeah. It took it took us about two and a half years to negotiate our licensing Jeez. deal. Yeah. Yeah. How and do that, you keep yourself going for well, two that, and a half years? That's a good question. You know, uh, <laughs> uh, a <lo> tenacity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, uh, you just do whatever. You know, uh, on a personal level, basically just doing whatever I could to, uh, you know, make ends meet every month, and and uh, you know, lots of. Lots of personal debt and all, all that kind of thing, you know. So, what, what were you trying to get? You're trying to get them to say, put your artists through our platform, and we will compensate everybody fairly along the way, and we'll make something along. The way. That's basically what you're trying to convince them to do. Yeah, I mean, radio, you know, music radio or any kind of music service. Uh, the argument, of course, is that for anybody to, to, to want any kind of a mass music service, it has to have the kind of music that people know, yes. right? So cause what, we, what we ended up doing, which I didn't really get into, is because the licensing was going to take so long, we ended up doing some smaller licensing deals okay. so that at least we could play some music right. and start working on the business and testing the model because you signed on for some clients. clients sort of who were like great give me some right. stuff and you're this like uh... cool. yeah right <laughs> okay. so so you know we, we did go out and make some smaller licensing deals and and started to play a lot of also just a lot of unsigned and self-release stuff which in hindsight was brilliant you know and, and it was purely out of necessity at the time but now we really have a niche in that space, you know, and it's from a business point of view, it's 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 paid off dividends very well. Huh. But at the time, it was like, oh no, you gotta, if you can't play the Rolling Stones, then you're screwed. There's no point. Yeah, so there's no point. What what are you finding that these indie sort of artists? Um, I understand that their desire to get exposure, but you're saying that your clients are actually saying, no, give me some more of that yes. unique stuff. Yes, absolutely. Is there a specific like a vertical or group of people that are like like is it? chain food restaurants or is it like you well, know well there's one certainly, yeah so certainly quesada we're, we're going to be announcing something very soon that's a it's a it's a groundbreaking uh campaign you mm. know in terms of what it's doing with artists and we've got two two more clients just like them that you know again we thought we were going to be fielding questions about you know what you know how many times am i allowed to play you know justin bieber in you know in an hour type of thing not at all it, it, the brands tend to be you know a lot of the brands we're talking to at least tend to be really interested in that up and coming space well that that's what you you put yourself in a really tough place in in my estimation it's getting record labels i mean there's the smaller ones they can pay less but they have interesting content you've got the big people who have the content who tough to negotiate with their enterprises they have deals there's complicated things going on then you have to go to the retailer or the customer the client the client yeah who can be a mom and pop shop but if you want to get you know scale you yes. need like a quesada like a yes. franchise or yes. a big business yes. yes so there's a tough negotiation on those guys you'd be like we'll totally do it for you for less than the cost of radio right. which is free <laughs> yes. so how do you convince those guys to even bother 
Which guys? The, now I'm talking about the. We've talked about getting the distributors, the people with the content. How do you yeah. get convince the people with that, that want to push the content through the? Yeah, they're yes. your clients. How do you convince them to do it? We don't even have to. Really? You know the, what? What? What we've? What I've learned? You know, um, particularly over the last couple of years. You know, as the business has started to kind of you know, get some traction and so on, is that there are certain brands that just I'm not going to say innate, but that that. Yeah, I will say it. Innately understand the power of music to their, you know, to any brand, mm -hmm. particularly to their own. And so, those brands tend to nat almost naturally seek us out. I mean, just because of you know the work that we're doing or, or whatever with with other clients or you know networking events and so on. These brands that exist out there that understand whether it's because the you know, the CEO or, you know, or VP of marketing, you know, went to Woodstock and, you know, has, has been a music fan ever since type of thing or whatever. The, there are brands out there that innately understand that and hmm. they come to us. Hmm. They come to us. Quesada is a great example. You oh, know yeah? I mean? Yeah, yeah. And, and all of our clients tend to, if there's a, you know, if there is a template, if there is a profile, that's what it is, is that we're not, we're not going out there trying to convince brands of the value of music to their brand. Got it. Okay. They're, they understand it. There's not every brand, but there are certain brands out there that understand it, and so we just kind of empower that experience. That's pretty cool. So do you have, um, so flash forward to somewhat the present, <laughs> do you have like uh, a sales team that goes out and looks, well, maybe you're maybe you're doing the negotiation with the record labels, but do you have people running around looking for clients? Like how, how are you guys structured today? Yeah, so I'm, I'm a real big believer in partnerships and, and just working the network, you know, mm -hmm. and so... Um, I don't have a sales team per se, mm -hmm. uh, but I've got lots of partners that are out there promoting our services, you know, to these brand, to brands or potential clients, mm -hmm. uh, which to me is better because I don't have to pay them. Yeah. <laughs> if you can you get know. that, that's yeah, ideal, absolutely. right? That's hard to get. And, and you know, I, t I tell my I tell my team, it's a small team. I tell my team, we don't need leads. We've got enough leads. Uh, we do. We have we have enough leads. Our our challenge is is you know closing the business and and uh, you know and and executing for clients. So how do you know? So you you built the you built your product. Uh, you found you started to find that like okay I think I know how to negotiate with the label. I think I'm getting clients. Uh, so that's going well. Do you do you stop iterating on the product at some point and start start build, start building features because you're like okay listen. Is doing what it's doing. I could. You have a product team. I'm assuming you had developers. I'm yes. assuming. Yes. Yep. And maybe a yep. product person, or was that you? Yeah. Uh, no, we've. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm partly the product person too. But uh, no, we've. We. I've had a couple of people that you would call product people. Uh, so since the there's beginning. a team yeah. who build things. Yes. At at some point, those things. You know, there's enhancements of the things, and then there's new featurey things. Yes. When do you stop? It's, building things. It's still very. My focus, pretty much right from the beginning, is. Our development is very client-driven. Okay. So, you know, um, it's interesting. Just, just a, uh, as as a small aside, uh, I remember back in the early days, I got to listen. I got to hear two Canadian software billionaires uh, in two separate environments. They got asked the age-old question, "What's the secret to your success?" You know, and interestingly enough. Both of them gave basically the same answer, completely independent is it and at different times. I figure cocaine it is, is cocaine. answer. Okay. Yes, exactly. No, but but what it actually was was, um, you know, get one client and just just serve them in a way that you could, you know 
you, you just can't imagine ever being served yourself, you know. Right. And one of two things will happen. You know, if you're kind of a, heading toward the consumer side, you'll get tons more clients mm -hmm. and you'll do well. Or you'll only have that one client and that client will be, you know, a billion dollar client. Right. So either way, you, you can't lose on that. So how do you know? Because the other thing is that when you have, sometimes when you're building a product and you've got a client and they might be loud or noisy, your only client or a very loud or noisy client, <laughs> yes, yes. building for them might actually preclude, like you might actually be building too custom and too focused on that yes, one thing and yes. sh shutting yourself out. So how would you well, and, juxtapose that oh, with that well, statement? That, no, I won't say it. <laughs> um, one, of, one, of these, uh, one of these software guys that I was telling you about uh, further to that said okay in that case what did because that's going to happen mm -hmm. it will happen so what you do in that case is you take a list let's say you've got a feature list of a hundred features right and you've got 10 clients for the sake of argument okay he says basically in that hundred in that feature list of a hundred stuff take the take the bottom 95 and throw them out develop the first the top five Mm -hmm. Because you know those are the ones that your that that the majority of your clients are interested in. So basically, that that's that's how you do so it. So it's kind of like listen to your customer. Listen really. to your customer, but and but don't listen on such a granular level that you you're know boxing yourself in. Right. Right. Cool. And then you you so I met you I guess two years ago. I don't even remember. Yeah. Maybe. At Idea yeah. Boost, the reason we're at the Canadian Film Center is they have a, a accelerator called Idea Boost, and I guess it's like an entertainment focused accelerator, but. Yes. Why did you decide after being in business for quite a while? You're like, I'm going to do an accelerator. Yeah, that's a, that's a that's a tough one. Mm. Um, I actually uh, had heard about Idea Boost, uh, you know, uh, in the first cohort. Uh, we were, we ended up being in the third cohort, and uh, I, when I was told about it, I said, No, that's not really for us. You know, we're a little. At the time, we were further along than the kind of companies that were that were going in there, and, and I just said, you know, you know, it's not a lot of money. It's not, uh, you know, I, I don't get it. Mm -hmm. And I had, but fortunately, I had someone going, no, Greg, you should really check this out. And they kept saying it and saying it and saying it, mm -hmm. or at least go and meet these people, mm -hmm. you know. And as soon as I met these people, that that completely changed my mind. And so, as it turned out, I guess in hindsight, that that third cohort. Uh, I think is, is is maybe like we weren't the only sort of quote unquote little bit more established company. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if that was just the growth of the program or it was coincidence or what it was. I think you know, not that I'm on the other yeah, no, side of the table here. My my opinion is that what happens is accelerators were new in around 2010 or 2011. There was like Y Combinator, but they started to become startups became sexy and accelerators became sexy in in the 2010 2011 timeframe, and. Uh, f after that, people started. Everyone and their mother started having an accelerator, and the, at, yeah, so my, my mother. <laughs> I was going to have one. So I was like, Rob, I'm going to tell you things. But like the interesting thing is, is that you need to show you need to show success to differentiate yourself amongst other things as an accelerator. As an accelerator, yeah. and one way to do it is to pick the right companies every time. That's hard. That's kind of hard. Investors yeah. don't do that very well, and that's their job. Yeah. The other way to do it is. Pick things that have been validated somehow. So rather than being a mom and pop with an idea and sort of have done some stuff, which is really risky, if you've got some market signal that you've done something, 
then you're something. So it's kind of hard to, to fuck up a company. You have to be a shitty accelerator to fuck the company up that's okay on yes. the way in. Although I'm sure and it's worse. been done. I'm sure it's been done. I'd like to talk to them on the show. But, uh, but that's my conspiracy theory about the whole thing. So the, the accelerator universe has gotten more mature. And then programs like uh, Up Global, the Startup Weekend folks, have something called Startup Next, which is now a pre-accelerator program, which will suffer the same injury Life over time. Cycle. It will have to yes. be like, okay, how do we prove success? We need to pick successful companies. So it's, there's that middle bit for the early stage companies that is beyond an idea, but doesn't necessarily have a re uh, like enough revenue to be or have a, a really good customer, a tentpole tent kind of customer. Yeah. So, uh, so you decided, okay, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna try this accelerator thing out. Yes. Uh, was that the only one you did? Yes. Uh, no, no accelerators or inc incubators have ever wanted to go near a company like mine. Because uh, it's music and content yes. and whatever. Yes. There's like yes. what the hell? There's just, it's just like a, for them, it's just a minefield. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's true. Yeah. And, and so you ended up. Was it useful to go at least to an accelerator? I mean, we can speak about IdeaBoost specifically. Not anyone will be able to get into it. But yeah. was it useful for you? Was it worth your time in, in hindsight? Absolutely. Because? The simple answer is, for this particular accelerator, is the people, the network. Mm -hmm. uh, just, you know, so many, so many opportunities uh, have come out of it. You know, and when I say opportunities, I don't mean it in a you know, in this nebulous uh, way, I mean clients. Right. You know, potential clients that I could then turn into clients. That's really Which for cool. a business is, is is what it's all about. So, yes. So, that's, so you're, I, mean, I think that's true for most accelerators. Honestly, I think people say that the network they've built, both the cohort that they've been part of and then the extended network is really where the value is. So then as we close out the show, because it's been half an hour, if you can believe wow. it. Um, how do you know what to do next? You've got a successful company, really. You've well, got... Well, you know, you're making billions. <laughs> your lips to God's ears, yeah. No, no, you've got client. You've got people. The, people uh, that are not indie clients. labels. Yes. Willing to license their content to you. Yes. I think. Yes. You've got yes. like brand, not yes. Rob's, you know, haberdashery, but yes. like an actual. Which we love to get. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I should start it. Um, how do you how do you grow your business? How do you go to the next step? Do you need to get like a huge amount of money and just start like doing marketing? Like, how do you know? I'm what not do you do? the least interested in getting a huge amount of money from investors. Right. You know. Uh, what I'm interested in is, is you know, um, flagship clients. I mean, Quesada is a fantastic example of that. But, yeah, so our, we're already in that next phase where, uh, you know, soon, hopefully, we'll be rolling out uh, some of these new client installations that are, you know, brand name type of clients that, that people know. And, and so that's what's next for us. Is How do you do that? Do you just pound the pavement constantly? No, no, no. As I said, they they come to us. Uh, now that doesn't mean we sit around doing nothing. I mean, yeah. I, I just think the best ways. I I always talk about any time I go into a meeting, you know, a potential client business development. I talk about my clients, not not you know confidential yeah, stuff, sure. but you know, I I talk about how wonderful, you know, what they're doing with what's us is what's working. Yeah, and I and. Other potential clients like to hear those stories. You right. know, they like to hear those success stories. They like to hear. They like not being first. <laughs> and, and thank you to those clients that were because yeah. absolutely. Because that's the thing for a startup, right? Oh, How, why would I trust man. myself to you, especially if you're a brand? Exactly. You know, and and it really, you know, you, you've heard it before, but it, it, you know, VCs are not cheap. Brands are not cheap. Actually, they pretty much are. You know, and and so it, it is hard to get that. That vision. I'm going to say it. Visionary client. Those visionary clients that are 
you know, see the value in what you're doing and are willing to take the chance. Absolutely. That's cool. Totally agree. Well, we have much more to talk about. Absolutely. However, it's a to. hurricane, so we should probably <laughs> stop. Uh, <laughs> I know. It was a great episode. See you later. Uh, this was Entrepreneurs in Small Rooms Drinking Coffee. I'm Rob Kennedy. We had Greg from Mediazoic. What's your website if people want to check out your product? And Just Mediazoic.com. M-E-D-I-A-Z-O-I-C. And it'll be in our Twitter feed, so you'll be able to go there from Twitter. Uh, thanks for coming. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, and taking time out from your clients here at the, at the TIFF uh, Barbecue. And uh, thanks to the working group for host, uh, sponsoring the show. And thanks to Nick Kuhn for producing and Anne for helping with marketing today. We'll have another episode in about 15 or 20 minutes, so stay tuned and talk to you soon. Thanks, everybody.